Hello, Life Changes Church. We are in our series, Move Again. We are looking through the book of Exodus as the Israelites move out of slavery and oppression, move through the wilderness, and move into the promises of God. Head over to our social media or our website for more content, such as podcasts and blogs. But also grab a notebook and a pen as we look at all that God has for us during this time. Exodus chapter 16 we're going to be reading two chapters, 16 and chapter 17, and jumping around. Follow on the screen on your Bible if you have that with you. It says this in Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you've brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Jump to verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the Israelites' complaints. Now tell them in the evening you'll have meat to eat, and in the morning you'll have all the bread you want. Then you will know that I'm the Lord your God. Chapter 17, verse 1 continues. At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to to place. Eventually they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people. Take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I'll stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock, and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told. The water gushed out as the elders looked on. And Moses named the place Massa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for this incredible community of faith that lean in, week in and week out. And I thank you that you are going to do something phenomenal with us today. I thank you, Father God, as, as we mix your word with faith, I pray for something explosive to happen in our hearts. I pray, Father God, every single person here, whether they're here for the first time or this has been home for many years, I pray, Father God, we don't want religion, we want real. We don't want going through the motions, we want to go through miracles. We want to see you, God. We want to know you. And we say today, we are thirsty for you, God. We are hungry for you, God. Would you stir our appetite for more of you and wreck us for anything lesser? In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. We are part of a series. If you're just joining us today, this is week four of our series, our journey through the book of Exodus, and our series called Move Again. And this is a phenomenal series as we look at this incredible narrative from the book of Exodus, but it's phenomenal not because it's just something that happened, but we've been declaring this is something that happens. The Exodus narrative is not just a story about Israel. This is our story. This is our narrative. And actually, we looked in week one from chapters one to four, we echoed about a God who keeps his promises. A God says, I have seen, I have heard your, your plight, 
and I've remembered my covenant. A God who says, I forget your sins, but I choose never to forget my promises. This is the good news of the gospel, that after 430 years of slavery, God still heard their prayers and still said, my promises will stand true. Week two, we looked at chapters five through 11, and we moved from the promises of God to the power of God. And said, he's not just a God who keeps his promises, he's a God that wants to show us his power. I've seen, I've heard, I've remembered, but I've come down to act. And I brought deliverance for my people and declared, let my people go. And through outstanding works of power, he, he's, he opened up the hand of Pharaoh as he dismantled Egypt's gods one by one by one, flexing the fullness of his might. Then in week three, we looked at chapters 12 to 14. We looked at the Passover and then the passing through of the water as this incredible narrative as, as the Israelites left, moved, uh, moved again and moved out of Egypt and now we find them in these narratives, chapters 16 to 17, in the wilderness, learning to trust God as their provider. And that's when we're going to leap in today. But before we get there, I want to tell you uh, about my children. I've got two little kids, one called Olivia, who's five, and a little boy, Benjamin, who's uh, on his way to three. And I can remember distinctly their first words. I remember the first time that they said, Dada. Oh, and my heart melted. Just incredible. When they said, Mama, and Fiona just burst into tears, and we were like, this is amazing. These are incredible. These children and the, the articulation, they are going to be English majors. I just love the way they say those words, Dada, Mama. And I, I start to imagine that these words were going to grow week in and week out. And, and I knew that actually the, those, those words would start to be followed by other words, and I could imagine them saying, Dada, you're amazing. Dada, you are handsome. Dada, you're so strong. Dada, you're incredible. Dada, you're clever. Dada, did I mention? Dada, you're handsome. I could just, they would say that again and again. And then they did grow up and added to their vocabulary. And this is what I hear every single day. Dada, I'm hungry. Dada, I'm thirsty. On repeat. On repeat. 24-7, a million times a day, it just never ends. I'm like, you've just eaten a full meal. You can't be hungry. Dad, there's nothing in the fridge. There's so much in the fridge. They eat more than me. They eat more than my wife combined. They eat more than I think our whole street combined. They just keep eating. Why did nobody tell me this? Dad, I'm hungry. Dad, I'm thirsty. And it never ends, and it frustrates me if I'm honest. But what frustrates me more, gets me more nervous, is when they stop asking for food and drink. Because I know then that something is wrong. When little fat Benjamin, <laughs> big bones Benjamin, all right, we'll be PC. When he <laughs> refuses to eat or drink, something's up. And I know that maybe that he's sick and something's not right. Why? Because actually this hunger and the thirst is natural and God-given. He's been given an appetite to eat and drink. My frustration is when it it's wants to go to the wrong places, wants to go to snack food rather than the vegetables, wants to have, have, have sweets and, 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 and chips and those treats rather than the good stuff we've made painstakingly for them every evening. But actually, I'm more concerned when they don't have an appetite. What am I trying to say here today? I want to tell you that you and I, just like them, have been made with a hunger and a thirst divinely by God, but there's only a thirst that can only be satisfied by one thing, by one thing. And I want to tell you today, maybe you're here today and uh, you are feeling dry. Maybe you're feeling weary. Maybe you're feeling burnt out. Maybe watching online now just 
That's the narrative of your heart. You just, even just to, to turn on the computer this morning, even just to pitch up in this room, you're here, but your, your heart is not feeling at rest or at peace. Or maybe ultimately you're feeling a million miles away from God. I want to tell you today, categorically, that you are in the right place. And I believe today is the perfect day for God to reawaken the eternal thirst in His people again, mine included. And I trust the Word of God will do that for us today. So today, whether you are, are in the best place or the worst place, whether you're on the mountaintop or in the valley, whether you're in the promised land or the wilderness, I want you to declare this in faith. To your neighbor, right in the chat, why don't you declare them the title of the sermon, I am thirsty. Come on, give it one more go. Give it one more go, people. We're doing this together. I am Let me drink some water. Seems appropriate, eh? Mm. High quality H2O right there. Two things I want to give us today. Two things that we have to understand about our thirst from this narrative. Number one is the point I've entitled, The Thirst Trap. Now, let me explain this. If you're under a certain age, and I did poll a few people, and I'm not going to mention any names, Quinton, and he didn't understand this narrative or this reference, but if you're at under a certain age, you'll realize that with that phrase, that person is thirsty, or even the declaration, I am thirsty, has a bit of a negative connotation to it these days in the urban dictionary type of, uh, of language. You see, it's actually a derogatory one. Someone says, that person is a thirst trap. It's a derogatory phrase. And I bet it's a phrase you would have never expected to hear in church. But here it is. It, what that actually means, if somebody says to you, mm, that person's thirsty, or like, oof, they're a thirst trap. What are they trying to say about that person? They're saying on social media, that person is somebody who's notorious at posting sexually provocative pictures. You know the ones. The ones that they, they, sometimes the Christian people do it. You know, the guy who's got, he's just got his muscles out, shirt off, and says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You're like, Again, no names mentioned. No names mentioned. Feel free. Or you know the woman who's just like, it just, the angle just really accentuates some features, and she's posted a beautiful scripture about the Lord, and the Lord is my shepherd. We're like, mm, yeah, sure, that's what you want us to focus on. That person is called a thirst trap. They're looking for compliments. They're looking for uh, things there in those moments. Uh, also, it's not just in social media. It's also a person in life who is always sucking up, who is always trying too hard. The Urban Dictionary, and I quote, says that somebody who's thirsty or a thirst trap is somebody who's too eager to get something, desperate for compliments, desperate for validation, desperate for attention, desperate for illicit sexual activity, thirsty, thirsty. But this is the understanding for you and I. I want to tell you that the enemy uses our wilderness and our desperate situations and desires, sometimes our natural desperations and desires, and he twists them until we are tormented by our thirsts. Let me tell you, let's go to our text. The Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, and that phrase leapt out at me in chapter 17. says, tormented by their thirst. Tormented by their thirst. You see, up until this moment, the Israelites have stood and watched God deliver them in a matter of months, from 430 years of slavery, it was, no, it, was, it was totally so clear that God has done this. They have done nothing. They have not obeyed right. They have not uh, said anything right. They have not prayed right. They have done nothing except watch and trust God to bring the breakthrough. And they've seen power on display like we've never seen. Power. Yeah. Releasing them from the stronghold of the Egyptians. Power. 
killing the firstborns of the Egyptians and preserving them. Power, opening a Red Sea before them. Power, even just a few chapters before, turning bitter waters into sweet. Even just a chapter before, raining down food from the sky and every day having bread. Uber Eats has nothing on this delivery system. They've had meals on tap falling out of the sky. They've seen power. They've heard his promises and a God who's reminded them, I am a God who provides. I am who that God, I am who I say I am. But in this moment in the wilderness, they're now doubting his provision. It's their narrative, but that's my narrative. That's your narrative, if I'm being honest. And this is the reality that this is the essence of our thirst as we've been given these natural desires, these appetites for God, but the enemy distorts it and we become tormented by our thirst. And the lie underpinning that is that actually is God really enough for everything? That's the lie that's underpinning this narrative. And I want to tell you this, that it was, if I could have lent into Israel's story, and actually as I imagine that, I can imagine God leaning into my story, my journey, my thirsty journey where I go after so many things that are not of Him, Again and again, tormented by my thirst, I feel God say to us, I've brought you this far. I won't fail you now. I've brought you this far. I won't fail you now. You see, I want to tell you today, you and I were made for the water. Genesis chapter 1, the whole Bible starts with God hovering over the depths. Genesis 1 opens up and says that the earth was formless, empty, and void, but the Spirit was hovering over the water. Before anything, there was water. Genesis chapter 2, we told that God then says that water, he divides into four, and four rivers flow out of Eden to the world because that water was made for humanity to bless the world. But Genesis 3 comes, and man's hunger and thirst is distorted and when they're made for this presence of God to enjoy the flow of God's presence, they go for something temporary, something insufficient, and they are thirsty for their own desires. And they go and eat of the forbidden fruits. And what happens on the back of that is they are pushed out of the garden into a place called the wilderness, described in Scripture called East of Eden. Out they go. And what sets up after chapter 3 is the whole story of the rest of the Bible is a people standing in the wilderness longing and trying to work out how do we get back to the water. Walk, journeying through the wilderness, how do we get back to the presence of God? In the wilderness, how do we satisfy this thirst? That's the narrative of the Bible. How do we get back to the water? You see this phrase, tormented by thirst. Maybe you're here today and you're trying to work out your own life and there's stuff going in your head and you think about last night, you think about your last week, you think about your last month, the last year, and you can say, I've been tormented by demons, tormented by my past, tormented by my guilt and shame, tormented by my addictions. Maybe you say things like this, why can I not get that thought, that relationship, that moment out of my mind? No matter how hard I pray, no matter what I do, no matter where I go, that thought, that relationship, that moment seems to plague me from the moment I open my eyes to the moment I go to sleep. Tormented by thirst. Why do I keep waking up and checking my social media feeds? Desperate to see who has responded. Why haven't they said this? Who has shared my post? Why do we wake up and check our bank balances and see how much do we have left in the account? Why do we keep driving past his or her house night after night just to see if they're home? Why do we keep going to the same internet site? Why do we keep spending that money I don't have? Why do I keep lashing out of my kids no matter how many times I say I'm not going to do that? Our thirst bubbles up and we're tormented by it. And we give vent to that again and again and again. 
Paul said this way in the book of Corinthians, says, I do what I don't want to do. And that could be my LinkedIn bio. <laughs> Cape Phillips, I do what I don't want to do. Why? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because <laughs> in Scripture, Jeremiah 2, verse 13 tells us this. God speaking says, my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. We were made with an eternal thirst, but the Bible says that our sin is that we keep going to temporary satisfaction points. We keep going to distorted places. We keep taking our thirst and we get trapped in them. And God has made us for something bigger, something different. We have thirsts that taken to the wrong place will leave us feeling dry, burnt out, weary. They promise much, but they deliver little. But I want to tell you today, your thirsts, if they're not taken to the right source, more than that, these thirsts uncontrolled are a doorway for the demonic. I know it's early in the morning. I know we live in Western civilization. But this is what Scripture says, Luke 11, Jesus speaking. Jesus himself says, when an evil spirit leaves a person... When a demonic spirit leaves a person, it goes into the wilderness. Other translation says it goes to waterless places searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I'll return to the person I came from. You see the enemy, it says there that word, that word eresmos is the word wilderness. It means desert places, it means dry spaces, it means arid places, waterless places. The demon goes looking for places that are dry. Places that are not filled and flooded with the presence of God. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is attracted to wet places, hovering over the waters. Demonic is attracted to dry spaces. And I want to tell you, demonic strongholds are established in our lives when we stop the flow of God's river in our life. You were not meant for dry. You were not meant for dry, weary, and burnt out. Isaiah 59 verse 19, the scripture we all know well says, When the enemy comes in, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Like a flood. When the enemy comes in, like a flood, the Spirit will come. Like a flood, the Spirit will come and wash away that demonic oppression. The Hebrew word there is nuva. The, the Aramaic word nuva, it means to make flee. If you want to get Demons to flee and strongholds to flee and the tormented spirit that is tormenting you by your thirst again and again. I can't, I do what I don't want to do. I keep going to the relationship. I keep going to the thought. I keep going to that bitterness. I keep going to that depression. I keep going to that anxiety. I keep going to that moment. Why? I wish I could just change my life. If you want that demonic stronghold to flee, flood the, flood the ground with water. Flood it with the presence of God. Flood it with the presence of God and it will make flee. You were made for the water. Today I feel in this room, stronghold's about to break. And if you do too, why don't you shout it out today? Say, I am thirsty. It's firstly the thirst trap, but secondly and finally we see the thirst triumph. God speaks to Moses. They say, tormented by thirst, give us water. And God instructs Moses, take your staff, the one that you led them out of Egypt with, and I want you to strike the rock and out of the rock will burst forth water. In the wilderness, in desert places, in dry spaces, I will provide water for a grumbling, unfaithful, ungrateful people. That's not a, they don't deserve it, but it's who I am. Strike the rock, rock and water will come bursting through it. I want to tell you, I love this. In the hardest of times, 
in the most defeated of places, in the harshest of environments, God satisfies the thirst of his people. And I want to keep reminding us this, this fact, this aside, that we believe that bosses give salaries. Yes. Deep preaching right there. But here's a superior fact that we need to understand. It's only our Father that gives inheritances. That this is huge for you and I because we are not defined by our salary or lack of salary. We're not defined by our position or lack of position. We're not defined by our title or lack of title. We're not defined by our net worth, but rather inheritances are at stake. You see what is so key here. Yes, there was a God who provided, but if you keep reading the narrative, it was because of Israel's disdain for the fact that God was a God who keeps His promises and provides in the wilderness and will satisfy their thirst, as they kept repeatedly saying, we'll keep going to our own thirsts, our own sources, and we'll allow the tormenting spirit to stay upon us. That whole generation were not allowed to enter into their inheritance. Because they, would, they were looking for the provision, but did not trust God as the provider, it was on that basis, Numbers tells us, that, that God says, you will not inherit the promise. That whole generation, 40 years, wandered in the wilderness, only two went into the promised land. Generations and inheritances are at stake, sir, ma'am, and it happens in your wilderness. It happens when you think things aren't going your way. In that moment when everything inside of you wants to rise up and say, just go to a temporary satisfaction. Eternal destiny is at stake. We have to remind ourselves this moment. We thirst for the provision, but you and I were made to thirst for the provider. What I mean by that, if you're single here today and you're desperate for a relationship, that's a thirst given by God. If you're sick and desperate for healing, thirst given by God. You're depressed and desperate for some joy. You're lonely and desperate to be noticed. You're in pain and desperate for some relief. You're angry and desperate for justice. You're frustrated and desperate for freedom. Not wrong thirsts, but I tell you today categorically, they can only be satisfied by one source. If you take any of those and go to the illegitimate sources, you are giving up inheritances. Because you're saying, I, I, I don't trust him as provider. Psalm 63. I love this psalm. It says this the little title before David starts getting into this beautiful psalm. It says, a psalm of David regarding a time when David was in the wilderness in Judah. This psalm written in a dry, desolate place in his environment, but also in his heart. This is what he wrote. He said, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I thirst for you, God. Then we see the scripture in Ezekiel 47. The prophet Ezekiel says this. He said, there I, this is him looking in a wilderness land where the promise of the Messiah is far off and the nation of Israel are enacting out Genesis 3 onwards, walking around in the wilderness and, and trying to get back to the presence, trying to get back to the water, but feeling dry, weary, burnt out. How are we gonna do it? We need someone to bring deliverance. Ezekiel says this. I saw a stream and it was flowing east of Eden. Genesis 3, they'll cast out east of Eden into the wilderness. It was flowing east of Eden from beneath the door of the temple. Ezekiel saw a stream coming out of the temple into the wilderness. And he said, this is the stream, as I watched the stream in this vision, he said, it started out, I started wading in, and it was ankle deep. I started wading in, and then it was waist deep. I started wading, it was up to my neck, and after a while, I was head over heels, submerged by this tidal wave of the mercy and grace of God flowing out of the temple into my wilderness space. The water was flowing and flooding, a place that I was undeserving, 
and unrelenting, the grace of God met him in that place. You see, you and I were made for deep waters. We're made for deep waters. Let me speak to some people, maybe you've been serving God for many years, and you've become satisfied with cheap religion. You've been satisfied with just, this is okay, this is enough. You were made for deep waters of his presence. You were made to be submerged. You're made to enjoy the flow of God's grace, no matter how dry the season, no matter how hard the relationships, no matter how bankrupt you are in soul, finance, spirit, on every level, you are made to be submerged by His grace, to drink deep. It's intimacy with Him, you see. And then Matthew chapter 3, 4 comes along. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus comes and He gets baptized. Where? Yep, you got to guess it. In water. And as he goes under the water and then comes out of the water, the Son of God there, we hear the voice of the Father saying, this is my Son with whom I'm loved and well pleased. And then the very next thing says, the Holy Spirit came down on him like a dove. Where have I seen that scene before? Water, the Father speaking, the Holy Spirit present, and the Word of God there. Genesis 1 being rewritten. And because guess what happens very next thing? As Jesus comes out of that place, Matthew 4, he goes into the wilderness. For 40 days, the Israelites went for 40 years. And what the Israelites lost for 40 years, generational disaster, Jesus, the Son of God, walked back into the wilderness saying, I'm the living water. Going to win, win back what my people lost. This is the gospel. And as we see Jesus march to the cross, this moment, the night before he was betrayed, he's there in the garden. And he says to his father, Go, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass before me. Let this cup, he seems like he's tormented by this moment as this cup comes before him and he doesn't know what to do. He says, God, I don't want to drink of this. I don't want to drink of the sin of my people. I don't want to drink of the, all the, the, the degradation, the failure where they have gone to broken cisterns and all that sin and shame is in this moment, in this cup. I don't want to drink of this, Father. Let this moment pass before me. But not my will, yours be done. And the Son of God and that God drank the cup to its dregs. And in that moment, as he drank deep, he drank of the wrath of God. He drank of our bitterness and our shame and our sin. As he drank deep where we had failed, he drank at that fire hose of our sin and shame. And then what happens next, he goes to the cross. And on the cross, in John chapter 19, we read, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty one of the last things Jesus said on the cross is I am thirsty and a jar of sour wine was sitting there so they soaked a sponge in it put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips when Jesus had tasted it he said it is finished then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit one of the last things Jesus said on the cross was I am thirsty and what they came to him was a sour wine as they put the sour wine to his lips. Why did they do this? Well, I'm glad you asked again. Because let me tell you what sour wine represents in the Bible, in the book of Ezekiel, in the book of Jeremiah, in the book of Numbers, when the people would drink sour wine, it says, we drank the sour wine and it set our teeth on edge because sour wine was drunk to remind them of their rebellion in the wilderness and the generational curse that was put on them to the third and fourth generation, that because of that, they were not able to inherit the promise. So in this moment, when Jesus is on the cross, and He says, I am thirsty, and He should have been drinking the living water, but in that moment, He tasted the sour wine of our defeat, the sour wine of our rebellion, the sour wine of our thirst gone awry. 
as he drank deep of that moment. Let me tell you, generational curses were broken in that moment. The grip of alcoholism on you was broken. I'm just, I can't do anything else. That's who I am. Uh, the, the grip of pornography was broken. The grip of adultery was broken. The grip of financial fraud was broken. The grip of depression was broken. Handed down from generation to generation. The wilderness in that moment was flooded with the grace of God. Every curse, every stronghold is undone. You see this because Jesus died where? Out the eastern way from the temple. Scriptures tell us that Golgotha was east of the temple. And when he died east of the temple, outside of what they thought the presence of God was, in one final act, he acts out Genesis 3. A people who'd been cast out, he says, I will be cast out for you. He is cast out on the outside of Eden, in the wilderness, in the dry place, in the arid place, in the waterless place. And the scripture says that he poured himself out for the healing of the nations. He poured himself out. Psalm 22 verse 14 says, I am poured out like water. And the hymn writer said, fountains open deep and wide. As blood and water started to flow from his side, redeeming his people never to be stopped, the grace of Jesus started to flow. So today I'm here to tell you and I that Jesus is the living water and he never runs dry. I'm here to tell you that Jesus is Jacob's well. Jesus is the river that makes glad the city of our God. Jesus is the water in the wilderness. Jesus is the spring in the valley. Jesus is the water from the rock. And those who drink the water Jesus gives will never, never, never thirst again. I am thirsty. I am thirsty. I am thirsty for the real thing, not the, just the religious thing. I, I don't know about you, but I'm thirsty for the deep things of God, not just the shallow things of men. I'm thirsty for going through miracles upon miracles, not just going through the motions. I'm thirsty for the approval of my heavenly Father, not for the empty applause here on earth. Ultimately, people, I'm thirsty for Jesus and nothing else will satisfy me. And I pray the same for you and I. Can we stand to our feet today? My urge, my appeal to Life Changes Church, here in the room, online, would you move to the water? Would you move toward the water? Because you see, the Holy Spirit doesn't fill things that are empty. It says the Holy Spirit fills things that are thirsty. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be fulfilled. If you are thirsty, it doesn't mean you have to have it all together. It doesn't mean you have to, you're in control of your life. No, it just says, are you thirsty? Come and drink. Come and drink of me. And streams of living water will flow from you. This is an invitation of the scripture. We're going to take communion together now in this moment. And as we take communion, communion is a reminder that we have a God who provides, but we also have a God who is provider. And as you take this, this communion emblems today, and we eat of the emblems representing His body broken for us, as we drink of His blood poured out for us, poured out, poured out, we are saying today, Jesus, we trust You. Right now, in this moment, we drink this and we say, God, we repent of our thirsts. We eat of this and we say we repent of our illegitimate hungers. We repent where we have gone astray. We repent where we've drunk of, of sources that are not of you, God. Where we have gone back to the broken systems that cannot hold water. Today, where we have been thirsty, desperate, tormented by our thirst. Today, we say, Jesus, flood us and make flee the demonic strongholds. As we eat of the blood, of the body, as we drink of the blood, I thank you, Father God, would you fill us 
with a new thirst, a new hunger that cannot be satisfied by anything else. And demons flee. Demons flee as your people break the bread and drink the wine. Let's do that together now in this moment. with communion and set our affections on Jesus and eternal thirst starts to bubble up in our hearts saying I, I'm, I'm putting away other things and I'm coming back to you Jesus I want to tell you one last story there's a waterfall that's famous in the world called Niagara Falls up at the top of the state of New York and this is a waterfall that is just deafening it's loud it's on all sides if you get closer just you get submerged by its spray it's just all encompassing and this waterfall just pounds over year after year, day after day. It just never seems never to end, just keeps going, keeps going. But that waterfall famously froze over once. When the temperature got so cold, it froze on March 29, 1948. And, then, and the people who live in the vicinity said the silence was deafening. They got so used to the roar of that waterfall that when it froze over, they did not know what to do with themselves. They had no more backtrack to their lives. But I want to tell you today, maybe sometimes you feel like the roar of his affection, his approval, his love, his grace has gone quiet on you. Maybe you think that you've sinned too much. Maybe you think you, you've gone too far. You've been so tormented. You've given yourself over and over and over. You've been in this moment many times saying, God, I'll try again. And you feel like you fail again and again. And you feel like all you can hear is the voice of the enemy because the roar of his grace has gone quiet. I'm here to tell you today that the roar of his waterfall never stops, that it keeps pouring, that it keeps pouring, it keeps pouring, and out of Emmanuel's veins, through blood and water, to your lowest moment, to your most broken space, to your most debaucherous night, to your most wretched relationship, the grace of Jesus flowed there, and it never stops, and he says, all I ask of you is I don't need more attention, I don't need more uh, coming to meetings, I don't need more try harders, I just need you to get in the water and drink of me, I need you to be submerged, I need you to get in and be submerged with the grace of Jesus. That is all I want, a people who say, I'm jumping in the river. My life is not what it should be, but I'm in the river of God. Why don't we lift our hands in this moment? There is a stronghold being broken in this room. This is not business as usual. This is the people of God in the wilderness, in the desert, in the dry space, saying, you are the provider. God, I pray right now, provide in the area of sexuality. Provide in the area of finances. Provide where people are depressed and lonely. Provide. Lift your hands, people of God. And let's sing this as a declaration. God, we flood the runway. We flood the water. We flood the place with your grace, Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today. That was an incredible message. If you want to get connected, please head over to our website. But if you want to find out more about this amazing series, follow us on Facebook and Instagram or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Otherwise, have an incredible week.